Yeah, how long have you been listening to the Cedar Skier podcast? I, I, I honestly didn't know what it was, and I Googled it. Hello, Ryan. This is Jesse Diggins. And I, I just thought it was really cool. He says, Pedro, what do you think of my skate skiing? Wow. So you need to have the right information. Put your phones down. Oh, There's... hi. Is this the editorial department? Well, actually, not quite, last. This guy Klugnet back there. A real Hickory High School story there for Great Britain. This is the best question I have had from all questions in 10 years. Ten years. No, and, and if Ryan, you were for sure not listening, but if, if you were, you were, I got your email. Got your email. You are, <laughs> no, you're brilliant. This is like, exactly, like, right? You hit the nail on the head. He's won 24 of the last 26 that he's been in. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you thought that. And now up to uphill, he's got a hop and you go. Pellegrino knows it is urgent and he goes after him. The, the mountains. Lavo looks like he's taking care of everything though. Can anyone possibly get by him at this point? Pellegrino is going. He's going to try for it. Pellegrino! Pellegrino, let's go right back! Pellegrino! I will get back to you, and I agree. Put your phones down. Put your phones down. Put your phones down, kids. I needed, what, a minute 30, Ajay? I needed more time to finish my mocha here. Afternoon mocha. Cedar Skier podcast, welcome. All of you Grip Waxers, Grip Wax Nation people. By the way, we got to get some hats or a shirt or something out there. You know, just imagine uh, out there in the world, 140, the 140 listeners of the Cedar Scare podcast wearing the shirt with just this huge, uh, a big canister of like Swix Blue Extra and then inside a circle crossed out, right? So, because it's like we don't need the grip wax, right? Just double pull it. That would be, that's on the... On the front, excuse me. <clears throat> See, I need more mocha time here. That's on the front. On the back, maybe it just says like, I don't know, Grip Wax Nation, Grab Your Pitchforks, The Cedar Skier Podcast, something along those lines. Uh, just double pull it. As for me and my household, we will double pull this course. Something something there, maybe theological, skiological. Uh, I, I think it'd be great. So welcome everyone, October 30th. Halloween is tomorrow, but two days ago, Leadville just got destroyed by 13.9 inches of snow. At least that's what I've heard. Some people have, some people are saying, some people have told me it was a little over a foot. And I don't doubt that. I mean, my driveway was smashed. It, this heavy concrete snow, very white, um, beautiful looking and then it was six degrees no it was colder than that it was maybe like one degree this morning it was cold so got a ton of snow i think this is for real now winter is here turquoise for sure uh the snow there is going to be there permanently for the foreseeable future here so we're on snow the roller skis are going away for sure the roller skis are going away because yesterday i spent about two and a half hours scoping out the site scoping out the the uh, possible training venues here for the next month. And I clipped into my skis and started skiing. And once you do that, there's no turning back. You can't go back to roller skis. This isn't Australia. Okay, so we're 
we're in for it now. Winter started. Are you ready? Uh, but it also, this weather has brought about a little bit of a shoulder season conundrum, I think, as it always does, because what I find to happen is you have this unbelievable fall weather, which gets you, it, it makes your bike ride a little longer. It makes your run a little faster or longer or both. Um, you know, for me this fall, I've been running more and roller skiing a little bit more. I'm not sure what it is about October, but for some reason, I just, I get in the roller ski vibe. Although I should say last year, last year it was a little bit of a bike vibe. Uh, the, the longer I stay in Leadville, the more I realize that the the cold weather from our falls just is not ideal for biking because you might start your ride feeling great at 4.30, but by the time it's 6 or 6.30, you know, you're ending with your toes feeling like you can't even feel them. So switch it over a little more to roller skis. But the conundrum we're talking about here is how do you take this energy and excitement from late fall feeling fit, fast, enjoying the weather to like you wake up one day, it's four degrees, there's ice everywhere, no one knows how to drive, there's snow everywhere, but there's no grooming. It's not like you can get that 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 first snowfall and then the next morning you're waking up to piston bully slammed trails, right? So what do we do? And uh, I think today we have, to, we have to talk about that a little bit on this show. That's a topic. We've got a lot of topics. I have a list of things I kind of wanted to go through, but first want to make a little a news announcement that we have confirmed we're going to have Matt Wickham join the show sometime in the next week or so. So email us your questions. If you have some pressing questions you want to ask the head coach of the U.S. ski team, cross-country ski team, send them our way, cedarskier at gmail.com, lowercase s-e-d-e-r-s-k-i-e-r at gmail.com. You can do that, and we're looking forward to having a great show with Matt. He's a great guy. So that's that's a little news piece I wanted to make available and make everyone aware of. The, uh, the other things I want to talk about here, I want to discuss my first time being humbled on the bar trail at Pikes Peak. I was down in Colorado Springs this weekend for the state cross-country running race. Talk a little bit about that race as well, some thoughts. I have some ski pole thoughts because some people have switched over to new brands. Um, there is a brand new brand coming out from Eric Bjornsson, so a little bit of that news we should discuss. Um, and, and as far as actually equipment goes... I don't know if you guys have seen on Enjoy Winter, there is a Japanese ski brand that looks kind of fascinating. I'm like, am I, have I been living under a rock? I don't recognize this brand whatsoever. I don't know a ton about brands. I'm, so most of this news is mostly just me going, look at that. What's that? Uh, but but still, I figure like we probably should discuss that. There was a double pole, inven- a double bowl related invention though, like a ski pole invention that I don't know if you noticed this, this happened over the summer and I don't think I ever discussed it, but it's a little bit geeky. Could it help you win the more of in more Minnesota later this winter? Maybe. Um, so we got to discuss that as well. Uh, just all sorts of little random ideas to get to, but first let's start out with, the most important and pressing thing going on. And that is, actually, I'm going to pause for one second. In your mind right now, I'll give you three guesses to think about what is the topic that's going to come out of my mouth. So here we go. One, 1,000, <clears throat> two, 1,000, three, 1,000, and away we go. Okay. The Drury Inn. Is there a better hotel chain in the world? I don't think so. Here's why. If you walk into a Drury Inn, 
it, it's anything but dreary. It's upbeat. It's well lit. There are these massive eating commons areas in Drury Inns because they have a massive continental breakfast and massive free dinners. And that's the part that really makes the Drury, it sets it apart. You get served a dinner. It's like it's 1850, you know, when you would lodge at a hotel and then they would really take care of you and like some random person would be making you dinner in the back and they'd come out and give it to you and you'd sit at like a dinner table like you're at your house. That's how it feels at the Drury, only it's like this monster buffet. It's just incredible. And it's not like bad food. Like we had, when we were in the Drury and in Colorado Springs here, they've got salad, they have potatoes, they have amazing soups. Uh, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, so the Drury Inn, the number one ranked hotel chain. The reason I'm bringing this up, talking about a little trip to Colorado Springs. So going down to watch the state cross country meet and for my job, I decided to bring my wife and my two daughters, two-year-old Novi. And now, well, how old is Ella? Is she like nine months now? I don't know, somewhere in there. Okay. She's smiling and active and doesn't really always want to be in a car seat, but it's been going well. Traveling has been going well. So we took the trip up and over we went through the Buena Vista direction, okay? So we're getting into Woodland Park, and my plan for the day from a training perspective was I was going to do this two-hour double-pull session in the morning, which I, I, I checked that off in Leadville, and then drive over to Colorado Springs and stop in Manitou and run on the bar trail. And I kind of figured I'd just run as – I would run as far as time kind of allowed me and energy as well. So we're stopping in Woodland Park, and – I'm looking for a spot to get the afternoon mocha. I'm a big coffee gas station guy. Uh, sorry, gas station coffee guy. Said that backwards. And so we come up to this loaf and jug. I'm like, this this place looks good. It's got windows that aren't, they don't have like chain link fences on them. You know, that's always kind of my first, That's that's a red flag if you see that. So I didn't see that. So I figured we'll try this out. Now I have to, preface this story just briefly by saying and people who are longtime Cedar Scare podcast fans will appreciate this I believe because we like to rage against the economy a little bit a couple of years ago the gas station afternoon mocha wasn't even really something that would break the bank especially if you were bringing in your own um west field um agricultural products mug you know which I have uh, and so I, you know, I used to be able to bring in this 45 ounce farmer's mug and <laughs> Westway, Westway, a sponsor of the show, Westway feed seed. I don't remember Westway, my Westway mug. I used to be able to bring that in for 79 cents or sometimes even just nothing. They just say, Hey, you enjoy that man. Have a good day. But for under a dollar, I could get a mocha and mix up all the cappuccinos, the coffees, however I want stevia packets, you name it. 79 cents. I remember about a year ago, this jumping up over a dollar and kind of thinking, okay, a dollar fifty. I really got to watch it. This is, um, it had climbed up over a dollar, so like a dollar seven, dollar thirty. It's up to a dollar fifty at this one gas station level. I'm thinking, I can't, I can't afford to do this whenever I want, you know. Well, the other day, I'm driving in, into Vale to cover a late night volleyball game, and I bring the Westway in, and. I'm not joking. The last time I was there was maybe a week ago, and it was the dollar fifty or whatever. 
$2.58 for my Westway. It just, I couldn't believe it. And and it did say refill. This wasn't like a error from the cashier. You know, sometimes if they, if they just put large, you're like, hey, hey, I'm using a refill, you know, what the heck? Uh, because usually they would honor that. But no, this was a large refill. I do need to go to this institution, though, because I remember now walking past to see, you know, their prices. And I think it still had the $1.59 even for a large refill on like where it's advertised. So maybe this was, uh, you know, a price jacking. All I can say, though, is what is the world coming to? You know, if we're paying that much for coffee, what is the world coming to? End of rant. But I pull into the loaf and jug and my belief in humanity, it's, it's been renewed. Because the advertisement on the outside said free coffee Fridays. Now, normally, if you see something like that, that's too good to be true. It is. And I was fully expecting somewhere there to be a catch that said, you know, with 20 gallons of gas or if you try our new microwave fresh pizza, (laughs) something like that. But I didn't see that, and I'm so I'm I'm gonna get a coffee anyway. I don't even care, right? I'm just I'm just gonna do it. We're gonna we're living large. We're on vacation, okay? I got the two kids. I need to get fueled up for the bar trail, and um, so I fill up. I go over to pay, and I just kind of I say to this guy, I'm like, hey, it says free coffee Friday. What's that all about? You know what does that mean? And he is wearing a mask, which I thought was weird. I'm like, dude, COVID was like three years ago. What is going on here, right? But I'm not judging. This guy's my friend right now. And he he looks at me, he's like, what it means is, this guy's probably 28 years old, okay? What it means is, and as he's saying that, he's like typing something into the cash register, pulls out the receipt, hands it to me, like into my face, like he's handing me a winning lottery ticket. He's like, what it means is you don't have to pay anything. And and he prints off a receipt that just says, you know, 0.001 large coffee or whatever. I mean, I was so thrilled. It was the bit, and it's harder and harder to get thrilled when you are my age. I think I'm entering that stage. But this was such a massive highlight for me. I rushed outside. I told my wife, I was like, honey, you got to go in there, get yourself a mocha. Our luck is beginning to turn because prior to that point, we had actually gotten into one of our first arguments we've gotten into in our eight years of marriage. Actually, that's not totally true, but we were, we were, you know, how, how it is when you're driving and you just get a little too pointed sometimes. We were a little bit like that. We we're kind of going at each other's throats just a little bit. Look at that transparency, honesty. Here we go. And so this was our luck's beginning to turn. We get the mochas. We we go around the loaf and jug. Woodland Park, you really got to check it out. It's a nice, it's a nice little uh, village. They have this park uh next to an elementary school that's right by this loaf and jug and it's incredible it's one of those sprawling castle-like parks that's uh, made of wood structures so i pulled off to the side i had i had some transcribing some article writing i needed to do and i'm sipping my mocha novi and lr playing like life is just amazing this adventure and excitement did delay us just a little bit in terms of getting to the bar tree bar trail sorry about that in manitou and this is where again humanity took a massive turn for the worst thirty dollars to park at the bar trailhead i can't believe there was like no cars up here right it's it's october it's it's was 30 degrees out it's late in the day it's four o'clock i just i I mean i know they're putting these 
prices, charging you for parking at places or charging you to drive the Pikes Peak Highway, which that has not always been the case. Mount Evans, when I, well, that's not even Mount Evans, but the, the mountain formerly known as Mount Evans used to be free to bike. Now I think you have to pay. You have to reserve. You got to line these things up. I I understand the concept that, well, they're big-time tourist attractions and they're getting busier, so this is the most efficient way. I understand that concept. I just honestly don't believe it for a lot of these places. Um, I think if you had everything be free, like Bar, Pikes Peak Highway, Manit- or, you know, Mount, especially Mount Evans, but and especially biking. Like, come on. You should not be charging someone. $10 or now $15 at Pikes Peak to bike up an 8,000 foot vertical gain 24 mile road. Are you kidding me? Like that's just, you should be at the top handing me a medal when I get up there. So all of this is to say, I just, I I'm kind of floored. I mean, I know I'm a cheapskate. I'm, I'm the frugal guy. I'm, I'm not even making this up when I'm telling you, Christy and I went a 21 month stretch where we never even went out to eat once paying for it. That's not a lie. Uh, so we're that type of people, right? I would, I would honestly, if I was going to pay two bucks for parking anywhere for anything except for maybe the Super Bowl, I'd be like, no, no, I'll drive and park in a field and walk the extra mile. But so like 30 bucks to me, I mean, luckily our plan, I knew there was the possibility of this like paying. I thought maybe there's a chance seasonal. It's like, you know, almost November that maybe we'd just luck out. Um, and I also thought that the fee was 10 bucks. So I figured worst case scenario, we'll just pay the 10 bucks. Christy can go on a hike. But we're 30 bucks. I mean, she's like, she's like, I'll come back and get you. You know, I, she drove down and went to the Red Rocks uh, little park, not like Red Rocks Amphitheater, but the park that's nice and free available. And then went on a walk with the kids there. Well, I did an hour and 40 minute run. So yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. Other Coloradans out there, do you think it's kind of ridiculous that we're charging people that much or that you're getting charged to do these things that are recreational. I, I think it is. And I think if it's really, really necessary or we're looking to make a profit or something, how about this? If you live in Colorado, you don't have to pay for anything like that. So like if you want to drive a road that your tax dollars paid for and you want to hike a trail, like get out and have physical exercise on a trail, you don't have to pay for that. If you're from out of state, sure, let's pony up because it's the tourist thing. But I think that's that's at least one possible solution to this craziness, um, and, and it's it's not it's not just like hiking and biking and those things too. I think you know I grew up I guess in a town where like if you wanted to go play tennis, you'd just walk over to a park and there was like a tennis court there. Now oh you got to pay eight dollars per session if you want to play on this pickleball court. Like what is this? I'm I, I just think stuff like that seems crazy. We're already all really poor, aren't we? Or maybe it's just me. Um okay, rant kind of done there. Uh and by the way, if you want to support the Cedar Skier podcast, uh <laughs> you should become a paying, I don't know, insert ad. Ajay, where's my ad that we have to uh we have a hundred paying we have a hundred subscribers on Spotify, but we only have one person who is giving us some financial backing and i i did just hear he has decided he's let me he let me know in a very friendly way he's like we're no longer probably going to be doing that i think he said that something along those lines anyway and i don't blame him like listen to what he's getting so far he's paying and we're 20 minutes into the show we haven't talked about anything except for the drury inn we've complained about gas station coffee prices and we've talked about how it's a pain that we have to pay 30 bucks to park at various trailheads so you know Hopefully he's laughing and having a good time listening to this and decides to re-up his subscription, but I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Now, as for the bar trail, 
this is kind of an interesting topic on our show because you probably are aware of the past few episodes we've talked a little bit Sophia Lowkley, you know, world-class trail runners. Are they actually world-class? And the Pikes Peak Ascent, we talked Matt Carpenter as well. This is like the trail that represents all of this because here's the trail to the top of Pikes Peak, 13.3 miles or whatever it is, 8,000 feet up. And um, I've never been there. I've never even set foot on it. So I think I got to I got to at least kind of run this because I've been running my mouth. You know, what's this all about? So after my I, I did a nice double pull session in the morning, but we parked there and dual stretch and I'm I start my run. The first thing I kind of noticed about this trail that I thought stuck out a little bit was it's it has a lot of steps like I felt great while I was running it, but it, this isn't the same thing as running up a 7% grade. It's like right away, you're running up like a 7, 8% grade, but then you're having to, to like actually step on stuff. Like, like doing stairs at a stadium would be actually good training for this. I could see why someone would want to train honestly on like the Manitou incline. Even, uh, my hip flexors were almost sore from like high knees, kind of that sort of action. And the other thing is, is it's not great footing. It's, it is pretty narrow. My, my thoughts were confirmed about, I don't want to run this race unless I can get some good seating and be kind of up in the front because you don't want to be stuck behind people early on in this race. I think the first three miles of this, it's a pretty nice pitch. It's, it's steep. So if you're an aerobic monster hoping to go hard, you could lose a lot of time if you're stuck behind someone in the first three miles. After about three miles, it, it smoothens out once you pass kind of the turnoff to where Manitou incline hikers are coming down to use the bar, tra- bar trail on the way down, then you've got a lot less people to deal with. So when I was running up this, I didn't, I was kind of on a mission. Like I'm going to, I'm going to run this at a nice clip partially because I was starting to get cold. <laughs> I was like, I got to keep myself moving here. And I, I wanted, I actually was like, I don't have much time. It's going to get dark. So I'm going to just go as hard as I can. And I will run easy on the way down, relatively speaking. So there's a lot of people like traffic that, oh, okay, this, they, be, they, they saw me coming and they kind of stepped aside, but there's just not a lot of room. The footing's not great. Rocks are not good. You know, it, it's one of those trails that would pay to know it like the back of your hand, so to speak. I can see why Carpenter said you got to train on this trail actually, but then it clears out. It's lonelier. It actually gets a little less steep and up to, I think it's up to the bar, bar trail camp there's bar camp or something mile seven something around there from like mile five to mile seven you could really motor and i i did try to motor once actually really more like mile four to mile seven so i picked up my pace a ton i had to turn around just a little after mile five and i had been going up at just under i think 10 minute per mile average but that is counting you know a couple of times where i stopped to take a picture and go to the bathroom so i'm kind of feeling like if I had to bet money on this, what my pace was, I was probably doing about 9, 10 mile pace during the steep up switchbacks. And then when I got to this flat part, I probably sped up to 730 or 740. Because again, I was trying to go f- decently fast. I was like, I want to see what it feels like to go at 210, you know, 210 pace. Right, let's see what that feels like. And my takeaway aerobically and from a muster standpoint is I think honestly that 210 to 220 pace for me is very doable. However, it's it's one of those efforts I already know. And I've heard from people, you know, like that race, the last 2000 vertical feet are, are amazingly difficult. You can, if you, you might feel amazing at bar camp, but like, it's sort of like mile 15 in a road marathon. And, and I could totally see that. I sense that I could feel that too, where like, huh, 
I could see myself trying to go out at like 210, 215, 220 pace, somewhere in that general range and feeling great until two hours into the race in the last 15 minutes really blowing up or an hour 40, you know, it's, so it's something, something to, you know, it was, it was like running a marathon, I think, where you sort of feel, I can see why people compare it to that. It's just so similar in the ebbs and flows and the energy systems and the pacing, like you gotta, you gotta be wise. So I definitely, before I do this, if I do Pikes Peak Ascent, I need to run the whole trail, get a better sense, know what it feels like at the top, but at least I scouted out mile five, the, the first five miles on the up. And it's about 3,000 feet of vertical. So that was, you know, that was not bad. It was a good good day. I, I turn around, I'm coming down, and I was running pretty fast during this flat section. When I got to mile, you know, three miles to go, so now I'm back to where it's steep and rocky. I mean, there's nothing you can do there if you're a regular person like me to run fast. I was just thinking this entire time, I cannot believe that people have done this at 115 half marathon pace. You know, you're like 520, 530 mile pace on this is insane to me. Matt Carpenter, recall, he did a his 201 unbeatable record was in the full up and down race. So he ran 201, 13.3 miles up, and then his down that day was 115.30, something in that ballpark, 115 something. That is crazy. Because here I was, I had run up five miles, 3,000 vertical feet, and already coming down. My quads are kind of like, you know, I got to be a little careful. I'm feeling a little sore. I'm running down at like 740 per mile pace and like still feeling somewhat out of control. There's a few spots where you got to like go around boulders and really peak. It's, it's not easy. So mad props to that. I mean, I think that's what I'll say. Humbled by bar. Yeah, for sure. Because I not I think running the up and down race for me would honestly be something I'd be very proud to just finish that period. Um, obviously, the up part is is really in my wheelhouse. I would want to go as hard as I could. But let's just imagine, you know, you have your perfect day, and you and for me, if I got up in two sixteen or something, I'd be like really thrilled, really excited about a time kind of in that range. I think. If I could make it to the bottom after doing something like that, like just alive, even three hours later, it would be kind of amazing. <laughs> I'm not sure if I could break like five hours on the up down on this Pikes Peak thing. I don't think I even want to try it really. I mean, it's, I can't imagine what your quads would feel like after going up and down that. That, that might be the hardest trail race there is. I, I've heard some people say that too, that the full marathon, Pikes Peak Marathon is the hardest trail race that is out there. And I, I guess when you just think about it as being it's just up and then down, it, it's not that crazy. I know someone out there is going to be like, well, what about hard rock? You know, it's 100 miles. It's 33,000 feet up and down, all that. But but when it's 100 miles, you're not running that at quite the same threshold as when it's a 26-mile race. And and the, there's only two parts to the Pikes Peak race. You're going up and then you're going down. There's not there's not any variation, and that's big mentally and physically. So, yeah. And now, I guess... If you're new to the show, you you tell this guy just tends to talk about stuff. He's got no warrant to even know about it. There's there's some truth to that. Let's hop into some skiing news here. This mocha, huh? We didn't go to the gas station today. We we have hot um, chocolate milk. We bought at the grocery store, and I'm just going with plain cocoa powder and stevia because. We don't even have hot cocoa mix right now, so it's a little bit of a sad state of affairs in the office. Let's see. So let's talk pole, ski pole news, okay? Because this is something, how is no one talking about this? 
Zach Ketterson is using lecky ski poles right now. If Zach Ketterson is listening to the pod, I want you to know, former podcast guest, he's on lecky ski poles. I don't know if you saw that. I think he used to be a Swix guy. I'm pretty sure. He's gone through a few different brands. Honestly, it might be kind of interesting. It'll be interesting in like 10 years because I don't think he can really say much about that now. You probably can't. Um, But he's been on Mazu skis. Uh, he's on Rosignol now, I believe. He he must have been on Fisher at some point, or he skied Fisher in college anyway, because we have some of his college skis here. We use them to race. So I feel like I've probably ruined the bases now that I've been watching Zach Caldwell's videos on uh, Nerd Files. I'm like, dude, I, I'm pretty convinced after watching Nerd Files, I don't know how to make skis fast at all. I just realized I haven't used a top coat ever in my entire ski career. So how sad is that? I just like... I thought like waxing in a paraffin glider. I mean, I know that there's top coats and stuff out there, but I just kind of assume it's like, I can't do that kind of stuff. That's really fancy schmancy. Um, I got to get into that. So we help, please help us. Uh, Cedar Skier Nation. We need some education because we got to get some fast skis. But anyway, Zach Ketterson, Lecky, what's going on? I kind of think I'm suspicious, but I think that he must have gotten sick and tired of some of the bad luck with like broken poles and things of that nature the last World Cup season. If you remember right, he was coming into the year when we had him on the show. We did a little story on him. I really felt honestly like I think Zach Ketterson could have a big time breakout year this year. And there were some races that indicated he belongs right in the mix, but he have random stuff go wrong, like the Tour de Ski I think the tour to ski is where he either broke a pole or broke a ski. You know, like how does that, it might've been the broken ski actually, because I remember just thinking like, that is so dumb, right? Like he was in the top 20 skiing. Well, maybe it was at a, a meet later or a, a world cup later where he broke his pole. Not totally sure. But the thing about ski poles right now, if you look at, I heard someone say once to me, actually that the reason their website doesn't do ski equipment reviews was like he, he just I, he laughed at me he's like well pff, the best ski pole out there is the triac at the time 3.0s and i'm i was like totally oblivious i don't i didn't know anything about nordic skiing i still don't really but i i just like oh okay um and then i noticed it's like wow everyone does seem to have the 3.0s like on the eisa that's pretty much what everyone had and and it i mean it was an 80 percent thing like it wasn't even it wasn't even as di- diverse as the World Cup we see now. Now I feel like what you see on the World Cup, you do see the, the track 4.0s, you see Lecky, you see One Way. Those are the major players. Who am I missing? Um, I know, I know other people. I mean, 4Cat is, it's not super common, but you do see that every once in a while. But I would say generally those three are the ones that people are using the most. Uh, Lecky... Lecky's poll is really intriguing to me. Here's how I kind of divide up these these different polls, okay? One way, they feel like they have the corner on the market on pole manufacturing heritage. You know, that's that's the only thing we do is ski poles. And I think with the biathlon connection, it's like when everyone was using that, they 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 gained a reputation that like I picture them as being the ski pole for Nordic nerds because they 
I don't, I don't know how, how else to better explain, right? Like a ski pole is already in and of itself. If you're constructing something of that nature, you're wired in a way where you're like thinking about details. You're really obsessive about just this one singular aspect of the sport. Uh, I guess this is kind of true for other sport aspects too, right? If you're kind of the wax guy or the grind guy, like you sort of have this nerd persona. If you're the pole guy, you kind of have the same thing going somehow ski manufacturers like escape that they're sort of like these weird these nebulous we don't want to give away any secrets thing we don't, we're not going to tell you what the base material is really made out of or how the foam composites come together like it's all a mystery you know and so they're not but like the pole guys are, are they're going to be like over analytical about why their product is amazing and the wax people they're in the kitchen mixing up soups of wax right and pouring it into canisters with no labels or mislabeled they think they're so tricky and and smart and they are they're a lot smarter than us so that's one way they're kind of the of the nerdiest nerds one way was that then there was kind of the whole one way got bought up by fisher and then one way came back as one way again but underneath fisher so i don't even really understand it but i've seen one way poles i've seen some athletes that have the top one way poles they look to be pretty good and they also i I don't know if i'd say they're as good as like the old one ways in in like the exclusiveness but if if someone said ryan you have to use one-way poles for all of your race next year i don't think i'd have a problem with that at all because i do feel like from a metric standpoint from a usage standpoint i could trust that they're going to be solid the swix 4.0s they have certainly the highest level of a stiffness to lightweight ratio i mean they are insanely stiff and insanely light and also insanely fragile so that's that's a pole company where I would be kind of nervous if someone said, even if Swix was like, we want to sponsor you, we'll give you unlimited supply of 4.0s, I'd be really excited about that. I'd go, okay, where do I sign? But in the back of my mind, I would always wonder every single race I'm in, like, okay, got to be kind of careful. Because, you know, you're when you're, not, when you're racing races, we do, you don't have Im- impeccable Lake Placid grooming everywhere. You know, Citizens Races, it's it can be sketch, mineral belt sketch maybe not everywhere but the mineral belt certainly is where i'm training a lot so we have a lot of snow where that looks like the edge of the trail it looks like it's gonna be really firm and then you put your pole in there and it's just like it's like the disappointing dairy queen blizzard where it sinks through 15 inches you know there's nothing beneath it at all and you go back to the one this isn't a blizzard right give it back to me that's kind of how our grooming is here in leadville um so swix can be a little risky i think for that re or yeah the swix the track 4.0s I actually haven't used a 4.0. I have some 3.0s and I've used those. The other thing that Swix has that I'll make mention if you are kind of joining us for this teched out, nerd out session, I like Swix, the handle shape and kind of the connection point with the strap, but I've actually really come to dislike their straps because of how narrow they are. And I think it's such an amazing error on the Swix part to have um a very just the shape of it when it when it's not the big web and the united states people company their strap shape is the best shape because it's this massive web so like all of your power from your upper body it's it is transferring more equally out like increasing that surface area is better there but but even more so you you won't get like this weird um almost numbness 
that you could get if you if your straps are really small. So not only do you feel like you've got a more power transfer, the way I the way I would say if someone's going to argue me like, "Oh, I don't think I think you're nuts. It's not power transfer." The way maybe to better say it is like you feel like you can can lay on and lean into your United States ski pole company pole um, more than the Swix pole because of that webbing. And and I think if you talk to Andy Liebner, he would say something similar, that there's actually this psychological component, like your body will um, prevent itself from from fully putting that body weight on there when it when it senses that you've got a very narrow web that you're going to be leaning into. So the design of the United States Ski Pole Company strap is my favorite for that reason. I think the straps that we that we've had um uh sent to us here the United States Keeple company I've had some inconsistencies with how they lay on top of each other like as you tighten it really nice and snug sometimes there's parts that have bunched up for me and and I I'm pretty nitpicky on that like I think the average consumer is not probably going to notice that but for me I'm like I want this to be the same every single time for all the different sizes and I'm noticing some problems there. I think they're still kind of working on that. And uh, I know that I think they've switched some uh, manufacturers, possibly. I don't want to spread too much false information here. But with the with the actual straps, I think they I know they have some different actual models of those straps. So who knows? And I I think, you know, the cool part about United States Keeple Company, if we're you know, to branch off there is Andy's always trying to improve his product. He's always trying to make it American made. It's a company you could get behind you know, just the vision of, of the guy, the owner behind it. I, I find that to be nice and exciting and you're going to call him up and get, you can talk to a real person. So you can't really replace that, so to speak. Right. Um, now coming into the space. Oh, sorry. Before I, before I talk about coming to the space on a U.S. ski, uh, U.S. made ski pole brand, let's talk about Lecky because Zach Ketterson going over to Lecky is intriguing. Here's my thoughts on Lecky. Lecky sort of combines the one-way Swix size like it's this monolithic massive brand that Lecky is with uh or I should say maybe it takes it takes that Swix feel where you're like okay there's so many people on Swix right there's so many people who use Lecky products that's a massive company they're not like going under they've got trail stuff they've got alpine stuff they have nordic stuff um now, granted, the Nordic stuff is probably not their like number one concern, but when you got a guy like Klabo out there using Lecky and Kruger, like that validates it in my book. So you've got that confidence of them. You also have a little bit of the, um, shall we say, well, a little honestly, a little bit of the combination of the one-way Swix, like the lightness stiffness thing. Right, these are super high-level elite. The, the way they, the way their um, performance actually is, and then the strap pull combination. For me, I like I like what Lecky looks like. I've never actually used a Lecky pole, but to me, they seem to take the United States ski pole approach of we're gonna make our straps kind of wider, but they made it on that material that Swix uses that's very thick, so they're not gonna get like it's not gonna wear out on you. It's not a it's not thin, so it's a big webbing that is also thick, and now they're they're going with the like strap in the, the strap that clicks in so kind of copying the swix triac mode there but before that they had the ones that you could really adjust to get really snug i don't know i'd be i'd be curious if i could get zach ketterson you know to say what do you notice about using these lucky poles compared to swix because he's got to be one of the first people i know who's you know sponsored getting poles from swix and then 
has to go somewhere else. I don't feel like that. You know, I feel like Swix is a place where people often end up. In fact, if I'm correct, that the Finnish sprint star Moilinen, when he was a junior, was on Forcad and Peltonen, and now he's Fisher and Swix. And, you know, that makes sense. Those are the two biggest, biggest brands, kind of, right? So, I don't know. But, you know, we saw now recently Eric Bjornsson. I didn't see this coming, didn't know about this, but now he has opened his own pole brand. And it's called Bjorn 2. Bjorn 2. I'm on the website right now. And let's see. It has, there's three models. The Bjorn to fly, Bjorn to adventure, Bjorn to ascend. Um, the Bjorn to ascend, the 100% carbon fiber two-section pole, mountain touring. Okay. Bjorn to adventure. That seems like one that's just like a, it's 50% carbon fiber, 50% fiberglass, so it's stiff, it's durable, average level skier kind of thing. Bjorn to fly, that's their elite one. This is 100% carbon ultralight stiff shaft. The first thing I'll say, I think the poles look cool. I like the colors, I like the design, the stra- the handle and strap looks a lot like the Swix one. Not sure I really like that. Yeah, in fact, that's definitely... To me, that was that was actually one of the first... Th- th- there were two things I noticed right away when I saw the Instagram post. This launched just this year, 2023, is... Um, I think they're cool looking, but I don't like the strap. I'm like, I'm already off on the strap. And to me, I think that's such a critical component to it. Um, I'm not sure what to think. The story on the website... Let's, let's read a little bit about this. Bjorn 2 was founded in 2023 by a team of pro skiers and carbon fiber specialists who decided to develop a ski brand 100%. The head office is in Winthrop, Washington, and the factory is in Redmond. In 2020, Eric and Marine Bjornsson took over one of the largest Nordic ski shops in the Pacific Northwest. I didn't even know that, that that's like what he's doing. You know, he retired recently. So that's kind of interesting. He's really he's really a Nordic nerd, I guess, right? He goes right into the, in the Nordic industry. We should have Eric Bjornsson on. He'd be a fun person to chat with. Um, during their time in the shop, they quickly realized the need for a brand with modern style, top-level performance, and made locally. I mean, I wonder what the thing there was that really hit them. You know, I mean, there's a lot of poles out there that have top performance and that have decent stuff. I think Lecky's got cool pole design as well. I think they're the the shafts, the handles, I think they look cool. Um, one way isn't quite as standout as it used to be, but... I don't know. It's it's crazy to me if like the shaft design colors and all that is like the thing missing. Come on, people, get it together. Like make something that's cool or just this is one thing. Again, United States people, at least they can make kind of whatever you want. So it's like if you think something is cool, send send Andy the PDF design and then have them rework it. You know, we've got ski poles with Ajay's body on it and Minnesota Timberwolves font. Like you can't beat that, right? But but how is really or is it the American part, you know, made locally? I could see that. You know, like there's not that's a rarity and and that's what sets Andy Liebner's company apart. Um, and then it says, so here Hall, a friend who heads up Ratio Made, a composite manufacturing company based in Richmond, Washington, was the perfect partner to make this dream reality. Tyler Simpson, also pictured above, is part of the Bjorn 2 family as an investor. After several years of prototypes and developing polls we were all happy with, we launched our brand in October of 2023. All right, so, yeah, kind of interesting here. I mean, I I wouldn't have, I don't know Eric Bjornsson well enough to know, like, oh, yeah, I saw this coming from a mile away. Kind of interesting. I mean, I, I wouldn't say also this is like an incredibly lucrative venture where, 
you know, you can break into a space that no one else has. So it's intriguing. It's something I kind of want to look into. See, talk to Eric a little bit more. Like what, what makes your poll different, better? You know, why go to all this work of launching it? It does seem kind of, um, kind of crazy. So yeah. And I, 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 they have some characteristics here. You know, they talk about no vibration in the pole, aerospace grade carbon, the combination of fiber material, construction layup, and production method are what the ratio made incorporated composite engineering team out of Redmond have precisely dialed in to achieve each Bjorn 2 pole model's performance properties. I mean, I don't know what that means. This is this you need it'd be interesting to have Andy on here. Like, Andy, talk to me again about how you how the carbon fibers are laid in your factory versus what Eric's doing. I mean, and does it make a huge difference or why or why not? Andy's probably gonna listen to this show if he makes this far and be like, we need to get on and chat about it. <laughs> Who knows? Um they have a they have a one year warranty and a two year warranty. Two year warranty is thirty nine bucks. They're the first pole brand to offer an extended warranty. Yes, that's right. You break your poles, you get a new shaft, no questions asked. Two year warranty, thirty nine bucks. Hmm, interesting. You know, that's kind of an interesting little add on. So there it is, Bjorn to coming into the poll. There's our our poll talk. The last item on the poll discussion here is something I teased at the beginning of the show is uh, this headline from Longren, August 23rd, new competition poll will revolutionize cross-country skiing. It's significantly faster. Um, former World Cup runner, uh, blah, 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 launches a new poll. Where do I see this guy's name again? Mikael Ostberg. Um, this, sorry, this is translated, so it's a little hard to to read through some of these things the concept of the new staff as the hand is attached to the rod with a hinged plastic rail the lifting rod is at least five centimeters longer per rod roof this gives you an additional five centimeters to push from it's an advantage above all on flat terrain and downhill basically what happens is when you are extending um on like an on a flat double pole you get an extra you get an extra push against the ground because there's this little mechanism that sort of is it flexes. So, oh, I hear Ella is crying right now. You, you you have to watch the video, but basically, like his follow through, kind of allows you to continue pushing off of the ground, keeping the pole and and like putting force into the ground for longer. The reason it wouldn't work really on uphill or wouldn't benefit you is you don't, you're already bringing your hands back up for the next pole plant. So it is a flat downhill advantage. It just seems kind of awkward and weird and cumbersome. Like, and I'm, I'm not buying into the fact that like any professional would take this up to me on a recreational level. If you're someone who's, like exclusively double pulling on flat stuff and that's all you're going to do maybe look into this because it might actually help you uh i don't know i that that was my first thought it's like well i'm using this enough on uphills and stuff i feel like it would mess me up and it is extra weight it's an extra mechanism it's something extra that could break all that stuff and climbing is where i'm going to make my money anyway so i i want my pull to be perfect on climbs and i'll take what everyone else has been doing for the last hundred years on flats and downhills but i mean I guess I get at least it, it's it's ingenuity based off of some sort of concept idea that has some logical sense to it. I'll give him credit for that. So um, sorry, I don't have more information on that. The translation doesn't really explain it. This is one of those where I read the article at the end of August. I was like, I got to bring this up 
but I might need to like actually you got to kind of watch the video to really understand what I'm talking about here. All right, we talked about on our last show how look, you get to a point in your life, you've got kids, you can't dedicate as much time to your ski careers and I think we're reaching the end here. We got to go make sure Novi and Ella are fine, but I don't just I want to run through quick what was the other thing that I need? I didn't talk about, oh crap, didn't talk about state cross country meet. I wanted to talk a little bit about that stuff. I don't have that. We'll have to save it maybe if it makes sense on the next show. Oh, this is something. I saw this. This is a real life headline I saw at the Drury Inn. Let's wrap it up the way we started. The headline is, men are more at risk when severe weather strikes. Let me read that again. Men are more at risk when severe weather strikes. This is what our news media has come to, people looking into this sort of breaking idea. I mean, I'll let you use your imagination to decide how they could write that and actually have it not probably be a lie. Like if we're talking about percentages of people who die when severe weather strikes, yeah, it's probably more men, right? Men are, generally there's more male firefighters. Uh, There's more men who are driving huge trucks that are snow removal vehicles, things like that, right? They're the ones who are first responding in some of these crazy scenarios. Not not to saying that women aren't or can't necessarily, but like that's... So then they take that stat and go, well, they're more at risk. Well, everyone's going to be... I don't... Okay. I, if that's the logic we're using for some... It is... This, this is why I wrote this down though. This is actually the logic people use and are like messing around with you the public because they they think you're that dumb that like you will take that and run with it when it comes to much more serious topics in the world uh today so i i wanted to bring that up for those of you out there who are like the true pitchfork people to to just kind of have a little chuckle because it's like wow it's it's funny when it's weather i guess even though you know for some people it's probably not funny but for me thinking like uh, because i am picturing just yeah, the, the the logical steps they took to get to that spot seem so crazy. And when I read that, I was like, wow, I've seen headlines that are like that, only it'll be for a topic that is way more serious. And you just know, knowing how studies work and how you can draw a conclusion and then and then just writing that up there, like there's nothing that inherently makes a man at more at risk when it's thunderstorming out. You know, like think about, and that's where it's kind of goofy. Like if all of a sudden, it starts to storm outside. The thunderclouds are moving in. You know, me and my wife are out trying to finish up a hike before we get caught in a storm. It's not like she's like, well, honey, we got to protect you. You're more at risk right now. <laughs> You're a man. I mean, but that's that's how that reads, you know. I don't know. That was kind of crazy. So, yeah, I guess, you know, that's probably the last most pressing thing I really wanted to have on here. Had some emails I didn't really get to. Just doing a quick little show. I'd be curious to hear, you know. Send us your photos for your Halloween costumes. Are you going to celebrate? Are you going to dress up like your, you know, Johannes Klabo? It would be exciting. I'd love to see a photo. Actually, I don't really want to see any photos of anyone dressed up like you. No, I would take that. I'd take that back. If someone dresses up like Johannes Klabo for Halloween, I want to see that. I want to see a photo of it. Uh, but anyway, have a great Halloween now that the snow is here. Get out there. Get in some Ks. Um, get psyched. Okay. And as always, keep on striving. Keep on skiing.